Welcome to Point of Relation with Thomas Hubel, a podcast that illuminates the path to collective healing at the intersection of science and mysticism. In his conversations with visionaries, innovators, artists, and healers, Thomas invites guests into a relational experience that allows inspiration and innovation to emerge. This is the Point of Relation. Welcome to the Point of Relation. My name is Thomas Hibble. This is my podcast. And I'm very excited to be sitting here with Harry Dunn and Bob Delaney. So first of all, welcome. Warm welcome, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here with you. Let's start, Bob. We had already a series of conversations. And then in the last conversations, you said, uh, conversation, you said oh, you need, to be, you need to talk to Harry. <laughs> and uh, so I said, Yes. <laughs> and maybe you'll introduce uh, like the conversation a little bit. Why Why did it come up for you? How did you two meet? And then uh, we go a little bit deeper. Yeah, Thomas, uh, you know, you and I have spoken about my background in law enforcement, the, the trauma that I experienced. And I make it a practice that when things happen around the world, that I try to reach out to those who are going through trauma. And obviously, Harry, uh, a Capitol Police officer on January 6th uh, that is so well known. Uh, I reached out to him. I sent him some of my books. And um, about a month or two later, after I had sent the books, I'm, I'm driving in my car and I get a call from an unknown number and it's Harry. And I said to him, you know, I've been around Michael Jordan and I've been around like Magic Johnson and all those guys when I during the course of my MBA career. But I was like so excited to be speaking with Harry because he's the most genuine human being that I have been around. And as a fellow law enforcement officer, to share his experiences from that day, to help us all understand more about trauma and more about the world that we're all a part of, uh, we just uh, connected. And then uh, I, I invited Harry to spend some time with me at TAPS. And he spoke to the uh, families of the Gold Star um, uh, soldiers who had passed as well as those who care for them. And uh, his story and his way of telling his story uh, is, is so compelling. And it's so relatable to what we all experience. It may not be the same kind of experience, but there are a lot of similarities to going through trauma. And that's why I thought that it was just a, a, such a great meet for you two guys to get together and have this conversation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for yeah. connecting us. Harry, maybe you wanna No, uh, no, no, Bob, thank you. That's that's too kind. Um I I don't consider myself to be this person that demands starstruckingness. I'm I'm just a regular guy, man, and I I just want to talk to people and we all people could talk about my trauma and everything like that. It's more it's no more or no less than somebody else's trauma, no matter what that event is, because we all handle things differently. What what affects me, you know what? I'll just put it, I'll put it like this to make it a little more understandable. I have coworkers who were there on January 6th that are completely fine, that that went through some of worse stuff that I went through and they, they're okay, or they appear to be okay. They tell me they're okay. Um, so it's it's not good to compare trauma at all. I think that that the minute you start comparing it, it diminishes 
you know, your trauma or somebody else's. Um, we're not here to do that. We all need to be there for each other. And the main thing, I guess, the takeaway is that it's okay to not be okay. And we all need to, um, you know, acknowledge that. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. Maybe you want to, Harry, you want to tell us a little bit when you said your coworkers feel fine and you felt more affected by trauma, maybe as a, as in your job as a law enforcement officer, what was your experience? And I, I'm also curious, how did it feel to start speaking about it? Because in, in, in my conversations with Bob, we, we had a very open dialogue. Bob is very um, authentically open with it. I know you are too, yeah. but not everybody dares to speak up. Many people see their trauma as a weakness, as a limitation, as a shortcoming. So maybe you can speak a little bit about both. How did it affect you? And and how how come you were open to speak about it, not hide it, not try to suppress it? So yeah, I um I wrote a book. It came out in October twenty fourth. It's called Standing My Ground, and it talks about you know everything that happened on January sixth, and then my fight for accountability afterwards, and all the tra it talks about the trauma that I went through and the emotional toll that it, everything has had on me in this emotional roller coaster that I've been on. And in the book, I talk about why I, I was comfortable telling people that I was going to therapy and where that came from. And I think in the book, I talk about it started as a, as a young age. Like I was in counseling and therapy at the, as an eighth grader, as a seventh grader, you know? So I, I started as a young age. So my family like normalized it for me. So I thought it was normal for people to go to counselors and talk and about their problems and things when they're not okay. So, however, I know that that's not the norm, so to speak. Mm -hmm. That's not the norm. But for me, it was. So that's why I don't think I had a problem speaking out about it. Also, I like to joke about it, but um, you know, people get teased about going to therapy. You're not strong. You're not. You're weak. You're you're you. You know, you're crying. You're such a weak person. And, you know, my, Bob will tell you, my stature, I'm a six foot seven, 350 pound man. And I think I, I use that to my advantage. And, you know, if you want to see weak, you you make fun of me again then while I'm crying. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I say that joking. I say that jokingly, but maybe my stature, I don't feel the need to, I guess I'm, I'm not insecure. I guess, which a lot of people do. And I don't say that in a bad way when I say that somebody may be insecure. I, if somebody's insecure, I blame the world, not the person, because the world is a very cruel place and people should be able to comfortably express their feelings and how they're feelings any and everywhere um, without the fear of being teased or, or belittled or ridiculed just because they're, they, they're experiencing something bad right now. First of all, I absolutely agree. And it's beautiful what you're saying. And I think it's a great message. And I know your book does that and or your books do that. And uh, but I think that message needs to go out further and further to reach more and more people that see, oh, it's not the shortcoming is actually something precious that I can work through and grow. Uh, when when you have been affected, maybe you, do you want to speak a little bit how that showed up for you, and and also what changed through your therapy? Like, how did you experience the healing process? So I'm, I may I may surprise you a little bit with this when we talk about the healing process. Um, my my journey is a little bit different. I used 
my anger, my my hurt, my trauma to fuel me into action, um, which is where I am now. And, um, you know, speaking out and fighting for um, righting a wrong that happened. And this may come to us as a surprise to you, but I, I we came to this conclusion in one of my therapy sessions not too long ago that I am scared to heal. And because I don't want to lose this passion, this fire that I have. And I feel like healing will bring back, bring a sense of closure. And I don't want that right now. Um, so it's kind of like I'm using my anger and my hurt. I'm channeling it for good. And which I don't think, and you know, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, you know, cause you I'm using it for good. It's going to exist. The hurt is going to exist and the trauma is going to exist. But that's, I think that's where a lot of people struggle. They just have it and they let those feelings just sit with them. And it's not, it's, there's no good that could come of it. But when you channel that anger towards good, towards action, that's kind of like turning um, um, lemons into lemonade. Mm -hmm. So how, how are you channeling? How, how Maybe you can describe the process. So how does it help you to whatever how you're channeling it right now uh is a force of good for the world maybe you yeah, can it's, it's, for our it's, listeners yeah 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 no it's um it's motivating it's motivating because you know to be specific january 6th the attack at the u.s capitol is what you know my incident was and you know i don't it's, i don't want to get political or talk about politics when we're talking about healing and trauma but um that's motivating me the the what happened that day and everything that's happening afterwards um to fight back to to the individuals that hurt us um not necessarily like physically fight back no but to fight back like running for office or speaking on the news or writing my book um putting my truth out there and speaking truth to power is what I like to say so I think it's very important that individuals um, hone in on their traumas and embrace them. Don't run away from them. Um, embrace them and learn how to turn it into a good situation. Mm. Right, and that's you. You're you're speaking about one very important uh, part of the healing process is turning the trauma back into an agency. Like feeling, I have agency and I can impact a life again. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very powerful, Bob. Anything that comes up for you as you listen to? Yeah, um, there, there's there's so much that when Harry speaks, um, it, it it's it's so such a story and a, and a willingness to be honest, gut honest about what he experienced. That is, he uses the word motivating. It's what he's also doing is motivating, inspiring others and allowing people to tell their story because he's being so honest. He's giving permission to have this conversation. So that's what I find so, most, so powerful in, in, in him sharing his thoughts. But also, Harry speaks about his size. And when you are in Harry's presence, he is a big man. He, he is six foot seven, 300 some pounds. He's an intimidating figure. And what I think comes as also is what I've heard from soldiers. I've heard soldiers say that 
if if people see them and they see the the wounds of Iraq or Afghanistan wars, which are the IEDs, it's visible. And so the visible wounds, people feel for them, and they also feel they could have invisible wounds. But that full-bodied, strong soldier who comes home, he or she is looked upon as being fine on the inside because they're fine on the outside. And when you see Harry and his willingness to be vulnerable, it's inspiring to others. And that's where I think that um, this story has so many layers to it. But to me, that strikes me when, when he speaks. No, I just think that when he said the uh, the invisible wounds part, that is so major. And I'll, I'll, I'll be specific of my specific. Um, I, I was fortunate, and I, I use that word loosely, um, to not suffer the physical injuries on the day of January 6th that a lot of my coworkers did. You know, I got, you know, a couple, a little bit of pepper spray or, you know, maybe a scuffed up knuckle or something. But I had officers, you know, that had broken limbs and separated shoulders and, you know, uh, yeah, it was it was a lot worse for some of them than it was me. And um, everybody was, like I said, but I saw that. Like I saw that happening to my coworkers and that vivid image is something that I can't lose. I can't get out of my mind. Um, so yeah, th that's like an, an invisible wound. Like physically, I went back to the Capitol to work the next day because physically I could do the job. Um, but I had, mentally, I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you can uh, describe a little bit because it's interesting how maybe other law enforcement officers or in general law enforcement officers and on a broader spectrum, not just related to January 6th, like how is the approach or how is the, the way trauma is usually being dealt with and maybe you both are an example to maybe bring about change, which I think you're doing actively also. So how is the regular way and maybe what's the development that, that you see is possible or is maybe happening already? Yeah, I'll speak specifically to what I know, and I, I'm sure Bob will have a, a different perspective. But police officers, what are we? Police officers are public servants, and they are there to help the people. So their job is to not be out there getting help. They're to, they're the helpers. They're not the helpies, um, so to speak. So officers don't go there looking about, help me, help me, help me. So a lot of times police officers put everybody else first and they don't take care of themselves. And I don't know if it's because like you said, society has programmed or it's this type A personality that a lot of them have that I'm a tough guy and everything's okay. It's it's not healthy. It's not healthy. I, and I'll use the example that the famous example that everybody talks about in the airplanes, you know, like when the mask falls down, if the cabin pressure goes down, they'll say, put your mask on first and then help everybody else. So you, it's kind of like not being able to pour from a cup or a glass that is no water in it. So you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. And I think healthy, um, physically and emotionally, police officers make the best police officers. Yeah, I would add that uh, I think that many times law enforcement officers, military, 
firefighters, those who serve or wear a uniform, when they put the uniform on, they kind of think they can leap to all buildings in a single bound, because as to what uh, Harry is, is referring to is the uniform and the camaraderie of that uniform gives you a, a power and it gives you a camaraderie that makes you feel you can handle things. And yet, what I have found over the years in, in the work that I've done and, and what I went through is that many times you're afraid to have the conversation because if you have the conversation, you may look weak to another trooper, another military member, another police officer. And in my case, I was afraid that if I spoke that way, they wouldn't want to work with me. Uh, they wouldn't want to go on patrol with me if after I would be honest about my experiences. The other area that I think is of concern is that there's a lot of self-medication that takes place to deaden the pain. And so uh, drinking more than you should. Uh, in some cases, knowing about police officers who have used drugs uh, to, to get them uh, through those kinds of situations. And, and those are areas that we have to be aware of what and how this can impact an individual and then the family members as well and their yeah. friends. And so it's not just the individual that's going through this. There, there's such a impact in that wave that goes out. Uh, I like to use, you know, we all use so many different analogies. I like to use an earthquake. There's the epicenter of an earthquake, and then there's tremors that go out for hours, uh, days, weeks later. And that's the same thing with traumatic events. Harry was in the center of that epicenter. He was in that trauma. But those around Harry, family and friends, they're concerned, they're worried. Uh, all those kinds of things are impacting all of us. And so this has to be holistic. It can't just be about the individual. It has to be about all that are taking place. And then awareness to the physiology of this as well. All too often, we just speak about the emotional and psychological. There's a physiology. Um, I, I, after doing my undercover work that I did for that long period of time, I was really good at doing that kind of work. But when I would leave the mob guys and get away from uh, the the mafia, two two miles down the road, I have to pull over and throw my guts up or find the first gas station uh, I could find because I had diarrhea. But yet, to be able to say what I just said very freely to you guys, yeah. it took me years upon years to get there. So what did both of you find the most helpful coming from your environment towards you that you felt was a real support. So when you look at, you both went through different, but also traumatic stories, like what's the most helpful that you felt? And maybe these are different things that we feel is helpful, but what was that for you? Because I think that gives us a little bit of a direction also what we all, because we are all ecosystems, you know, for, for yeah. each other. So maybe you can speak a little bit, what was helpful for you? Um, I think, honestly, I got, I got to go back and, you know, attribute it to um, my upbringing. Um, that's what I guess set the foundation for me to be able to speak freely about my emotions. However, as an adult, you know, you grow and you experience the world. No matter what you were up brought in, the world still exists. And the world, the persuasion of the world is strong. 
And the, these forces in the world, no matter what your upbringing, they will tempt you, they will test you and um, make you question times the way you were brought up. Mm -hmm. um, that faith, it, my mind remains strong. However, there were times where I was criticized often um, by individuals for speaking out or appearing weak. And, you know, I, I cried on national television with millions of people watching me, tears running down my face. And, you know, the world is cruel. That they created a me memes of me as a crybaby and, you know, like all this stuff. But I was unmoved because I had to focus on the individuals who actually got it and the people that I helped. Mm -hmm. um, helping one person is more than enough for me. Um, because, but it was helpful for me. And that's what you got to realize. You got to see the bigger picture. And that's kind of like where I was able to block out the noise. And I'll use, I use this example a lot. Just say, for example, you have a, a new shirt on, right? And you love that shirt that you have. And you think it's great. You're like, oh, everybody, look at this shirt. Isn't this beautiful? And you go to all your friends down the street and your friends are saying, well, that shirt is amazing. Oh, Bob, where'd you get that shirt? Oh, man, I got to tell my wife to get me one like that or whatever. And all of your friends are in love with it. And then you come to the 10th person. And person number 10 says, that is a hideous shirt. Why are you wearing that? You forget all about the other nine people that you just, that just meant the world to, and you focus on that one individual. We do that so much. And that's what I had to focus on. I had to focus on the people that actually mattered, the person that I was helping, um, and not the people who weren't interested at all in doing anything except for um, antagonizing uh, and and um, just making fun of people. So you got to focus on the individuals that matter, that want, because there's a lot more people out there that can use you than the ones that want to make fun of you. Mm. Yeah, and, and um, what's so great is whenever you have conversations just like this, you learn so much more about each other. I did not know that Harry was in therapy early on. And so that normalized that and, and so think of the, the leg up that he has. Um, I was very fortunate. The first leaders of my life sat across the dining room table. And so my mother and father um, were, were models for me. And then I was truly raised by a village with my grandparents, aunts and uncles and family members and people in the community having such an influence. I think that stabilized that those things in my life that were in the past, just as Harry is referring, and then the training that I got when I went through the State Police Academy, um, you learn and understand right from wrong. When I was undercover on the street, I tell people that if you stay in the toilet long enough, you're going to start to stink, and the street is a toilet, and you're around a lot of bad, and your morality can change. Uh, my... What I saw as a bad guy when I was undercover was only people that were putting bullets in people's heads. The other guys were just making a living. They were stealing, they were doing what, but I wouldn't have had that same thought about them when I was a uniformed state trooper. I would have thought they were criminals, but I changed because I got to know them as individuals. And also I was part of that environment. And so that morality starts to have a change in you. Hmm. And you start to, 
you start going, it's only because of those things of sitting across that dining room table, of being around people that gave me an understanding of a true uh, moral code that kept me centered. And I think that I hear in Harry's story. And I think that there's part of that in all of our stories about bringing us back to that center. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. And also, also when I listen to you both, and also to what you said, Harry, before, like being able to cry on television in front of many people, I think in the inner development work, we know, for example, when somebody is really scared, they don't say that they are scared. Yeah. Somebody needs to feel safe enough to be able I'm, to say I'm scared. So to be able to show emotions publicly needs a lot of inner strength. So it's actually the the other way around. When you really look at uh, like strength, inner strength, it is the capacity to show emotions, but to stay in oneself, connected to oneself, that is true strength. And I think that's oh, what yeah. interests. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say, sorry, sorry to me to cut you off, but that just that just reminded me so much of I use the phrase that uh vulnerability takes so much strength. Like you gotta be a strong person to be vulnerable. So I, I give all the credit in the world to the people who have the ability and the fortitude to show vulnerability because it's not easy by a long shot. And I think that we don't give ourselves enough credit for vote. Like we give ourselves credit when we, you know, complete a task or we do that. But a lot of times just surviving in this cruel world, uh, we need to give ourselves credit for making it through. Like we need to give ourselves, hey, good job. Pat yourself on the back. That was good. And because um, it's not easy at all. So Mm, yeah, I completely agree. And vulnerability needs a lot of strength. So what would you see both of you uh, supporting your colleagues, supporting law enforcement officers, supporting military personnel? Like, what, what do you see as next steps that given what you went through and also what you worked through would be actually an amazing development? What are the next steps that are needed to implement more of it? Yeah, so I, I this is where I struggle because I don't, I'm not sure because everybody is different. There's no one size fits all um, method to dealing with trauma or to getting somebody to open up about their trauma. They do it when they're ready and only then. That that's like that's what the number one rule is. You can't force somebody to talk about something. But what you can do is you can foster an environment to make an individual feel comfortable and know that they won't be ridiculed or judged or made fun of because they did share with you something that takes vulnerability. Uh, I, I don't know outside of just being there. Um what more can be done? I would, I, that's what I, we, we need to find that out. We need to, and we just need to, like, I've said this before, there's no new phrase, there's no new program, there's no new um, method to reduce the stigma surrounding mental health. All the phrases have been said, all the, it's all known. We just need more people to say it. You know, we need to make it cool to be an ally for uh for mental health 
We need to make it cool. I, I, that's the only thing that I could come up with. There's, I mean, there are millions of therapy programs and, you know, all these things that surrounding mental health and, you know, the crisis hotline and, you know, they, they make it easier to talk to somebody to when, when somebody's contemplating suicide. You know, there's all these different things that people have done, but we just need to make it normal or more accepted where somebody doesn't feel like I'm not strong. I can't talk to anybody. Yeah, yeah I agree 100%. And, and Thomas, the work that you do is keeping it in the forefront. Uh, Harry's doing the same thing. I'm doing the same thing. The more that we continue to have this conversation, it, it's important. I also think that we're in a period of time where those who have authority are, are, are questions. Are, are, um, we have so many conspiracy theories in our society and so many. But I also have a uh, optimism because I grew up during the Vietnam era. And that was the war that I could potentially have become part of. Friends of mine went, they came home. Some did not come home, some came home different. But if we recall, and you, you know the history, our military troops were vilified during that period of time. And yet today we honor, thank, and support them. And so there was a, a, a transfer of how we were handling things. And I, and I think that will take place. What we have to do is model proper authority behavior as law enforcement officers. We cannot be bullies with a badge. We cannot take and think that because we wear a uniform or have a badge that we get to be disrespectful. I, I, I was taught by an old time senior guy when I first went on the job who said, just because you have that badge and uniform doesn't mean you get to be disrespectful or demeaning to folks. And you will truly know when you're a professional, when they say thank you, when you give them a ticket or you arrest them. They're not saying thank you for what you did. They're yeah. saying thank you for how you treated them. When we are able to do that and model that as law enforcement uh, throughout the world, that's where I think the change will come. And we have to continue to preach that. And, and, and guys like Harry and guys that he worked with that are willing to be honest about what they experienced that day on, on January 6th. And no different than a police officer who experiences something that is not in the public eye, but is still having that same level of fear and concern of what's going on. And how do we, how do we process that so it doesn't turn into anger of hurting others, but doing what Harry does and turning it into taking his anger into motivation for the good of our society. Definitely, definitely. Another thing I want to, you mentioned something, um, you know, and, and this is, and I, I, I said this in the, when we first opened um, about comparing traumas, that's the, that can be, you know, problematic too. You know, a lot of individuals will say, oh no, this person lost their mother or this person lost both of their parents. And I just sit here and my dog just died. And we'll sit here and say, I can't, no way that I, I can't say anything. It was just my dog. They lost both their parents. And meanwhile, that's a comparison. And now they're minimizing the trauma that they went through. No, both of those traumas exist and both of them are valid. Uh, we just have to stop. We can't compare each other's trauma because it's not a competition. Like we, it's not a competition. What is it? The who can hurt the most competition? No, we want everybody. We want everybody to be well. We want everybody to be happy. 
And we should all be striving to lend that support system to each other um, while we're at our lowest points at times. Mm. I think yeah, this is so important. I mean, many things you both said right now, but I think also the the taking out the competition and seeing the trauma is very subjective. And I cannot judge your trauma. I can only listen to you and learn from you about how you experience things and vice versa. And we respect each other in in the pain that we carry. I think that's a great that's a great message also for the for the world. And also what I heard is is creating a non-judgmental environment, like an environment. How do we create environments for people to feel safer to share and speak up? And it's and we we create non-judgmental environments. That seems to be very powerful. And what I also heard from you, uh, Harry, is also that your own, and it you said it just uh short at the beginning, but to have um like a childhood that gives you a good base. And yeah. and I think that that's uh, really an important message also for all of us, how important that phase in our life is that creates a base for how we meet challenges later as grown-ups. And it doesn't mean that then we cannot experience trauma, but we have a different base from which it happens. Many people don't have that base. So, But yeah, even though, even though people don't have that base, it's still um, attainable, you know, because, you know, like there's just like individuals that say, oh, you you came from a two-parent home, you're good. But there are people that come from two-parent households that aren't good. And there are people that come from single-parent households that turn out to be the most amazing people you've ever met. So you can't judge that, but it helps. Like for me, with the foundation of, um, you know, experiencing therapy, in counseling as a child that helped me and um mm. like i said but that's the thing we try to cookie cut uh try to be very there's no like i said there's no one recipe or one cure for all types of trauma you have to deal with it on a one by one basis and that's what helped me and maybe it helped somebody else but um we have got to stop trying to fit everything in a one size fits all thing. That's that's a bad recipe for disaster, not only because it doesn't work, because an individual who is subjected to that might feel that they are inadequate because they didn't heal because they were supposed to heal because mm -hmm. somebody else told them this worked for me. So mm -hmm. now somebody who didn't, hey man, I still feel like crap. All right, maybe I'm just permanently broken. They may have that feeling because it didn't work for them. No, you're 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 valid. You matter. You're worthy. But we need to find out how we treat you specifically. Mm, that's very beautiful. Yeah, Dr. Richard Malika, who's the director of the Harvard Global Mental Health Trauma Recovery, uh, I was a student of his. He's a mentor. He's a friend, and um, he has a very simple statement. He says, "Trauma is inescapable in life," and it, it's such a true statement. We're all susceptible to trauma. Those who serve are in the higher risk group because of the work they do. Law enforcement, military, firefighters, healthcare workers, trauma comes in the front door of the hospital to them. And so knowing that that is a true statement, each one of us is susceptible to trauma. And so our willingness to be able to have these conversations 
is what I think is, uh, you know, you both have heard me use this. I'll use it one more time. But if I had a large balloon, how do I get the air out of the balloon? I take a pin and pop it. I get the air out, but I don't have the balloon anymore. If I let it go, it goes all over the room, goes out the back door. We don't know what happened to the balloon, but if we're patient and willing to listen to sounds that we don't want to hear. And it may hurt our ears to hear that screeching noise as we let a little air out of the tire. And eventually we get all the air out. We have a full balloon we can use again one day. That's us with trauma. We need to allow it to come out. And having folks to talk with and share that with. Harry and I have done that over the phone. We've done it in person. It, yeah. it's, it, it's therapeutic each yeah. time we speak with each other. And we may be doing it over a, a break and bread. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Just having that, an individual um that's why that safe space matters so much because you can know you can go around somebody and even if they know or don't know everything that you've been through it doesn't matter because you're safe in that moment in that space and whatever's going on in the world in your particular life doesn't matter at that moment yes beautiful so if we before we finish our conversation if you if you look at the more the collective dimension like trauma exists in individuals but also our societies are traumatized on a larger basis and that creates a lot of polarization a lot of follow-up pain so what do you what do you think both of you is helpful or how can we how can we approach the collective situation uh it's now speaking about the us first of all so what are what are your viewpoints on what's helpful here i'm going to defer to bob and i'll i'll chime in after after bob gives in yeah i i i think being open and and and, and honest with each other but also having an understanding that the more you go around this world, we are more alike than we are different. Yeah. And if we keep pushing people into boxes and say, well, that's that group and that's that group, then what we're going to do, <laughs> Father Alex Reed, um, I'm a dual citizen. I have a citizenship in Ireland. Father Alex Reed was um, at the Clenard Monastery up on the Peace Wall in Northern Ireland. He, had a, he added a simple statement. He said, we're told to love our neighbor, but how can you love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor? And so he took time to go into the Protestant sections and spend time with people. And when you start spending time, you find that we are more alike than not. Mm. I like that. We have way more similarities than we do differences, and we need to seek those out. That's um, I defer to you, Bob, because I was unsure how to answer it. Um, but wow, that uh, I think that sums it up perfectly. We have way more in common than we do differences, and we need to start embracing those commonalities uh, and not the um, the small minor differences with each other. Very well put, Bob. So is there anything that we didn't speak about that you think, given your experience, is is meaningful, is important, is helpful to us, or can keep us contemplating and deepening and, uh, you know, given your life experience, maybe there are things that I didn't ask that you think are important or important to you? No, so one of the things, so as, as a police officer, I was a, I was a hostage crisis negotiator 
and um, a crisis intervention officer also. And one of the things that I learned um, in crisis uh, negotiation intervention school is that I've always believed treat others how you want to be treated. Um, but I came to find out in that, that's not true. And it's a small difference. It's a small difference. I'm going to change that phrase a little bit. And I think it'll make more sense. You treat people the way they want to be treated. And because to treat people out, what about you? I may not want what Bob wants. So Bob may want this. Don't you? I don't want that. Ask, and you know what that, that will require? Talking to people and finding out what they like. And I think once we identify these similarities that we have with each other and we see each other as human beings and our partners on this earth, like we're we're in this fight, this this called life together. We're all in this together. We're not against each other. We're all trying to survive. And um once we that will require us to tap into each other and start finding similarities and not differences. So that's what I'm gonna leave my my portion with. Mm. Well said, Harry. And again, here's another similarity. So while my undercover work in the long-term undercover job I did is what I'm more known for in law enforcement, uh, the last three years I was in charge of the hostage negotiation team for the state of New Jersey. Yeah. And so, as Harry said, that training helps you so much of understanding how to interact with folks when they are in crisis and being empathetic and being understanding rather than being authoritative. Uh, in, in, in conversations allows for this give and take between two human beings to take place. And um, I, um, I know that that takes place with you, Thomas, when I speak with you, and I know it takes place with Harry. So I'm a, a very blessed and fortunate guy to have you both. Mm. Thank you, both of you. This was beautiful. And thank you for sharing so openly. As you said, it's it's not always given that that's happening. And I think it's a great example and it shows a lot of strength. And uh, so I think that's fantastic for all our listeners here to see as an example and to see how, how they take it further into the world. So thank you very much. Thank you for having this very great conversation. Thank you. Mm. Thanks for listening to Point of Relation with Thomas Hoover. Stay connected by visiting our website, pointofrelationpodcast.com, and by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review, and share about us with your community on social media. Thank you. We appreciate your support.